A lot of us have a profile of what we think killers and people who commit crimes look like. We feel like we can read people and quickly decide if someone means us harm or not. And that's not entirely false. But a lot of us get caught up in this idea and we place trust in people who we would not have already assumed were going to be a killer. Because the reality of the matter is this. Everyone can be a killer. Everyone can commit crimes. And sometimes, the people around us are hiding a much darker secret. Just like the Ken and Barbie killers. Hey guys, and welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Lulu, and welcome back. It's great to talk to everybody again. Um, This case we are going to cover is probably going to be at least three parts. There is a lot of information. It is a more popular case, but it is a listener-requested case. Um, She has been talking to me and emailing me and messaging me for a long time about this case, and I figured this would be the perfect case for February's uploads. That's because this is a killer couple, you guys. This is a murderous match, and that's just what we're going to call this. If I don't have enough information to do a four-parter, that's all right. We'll just do three parts, and we'll throw in another murderous match at the end of this month. But yeah, like you heard at the beginning, this is the Ken and Barbie case. Like I said, this is a more popular case, but this is a really fun one to research, and to me, this is a very fun one to listen to. I have heard of this case multiple times, and I've listened to multiple different people cover this case as well. It is because it's one of those cases that just blows your mind to listen to, and you just don't understand how these two found each other, how they did what they did and were okay with it. You know, it's just like, I guess that's with all murder cases. But anyways, this is a more popular case. And like I said, this is a listener requested. And if anybody out there that's listening has any cases they want covered, email me at confessedobsessedcaserequest.com. I have another case I am currently working on that is another listener requested. Um, I am very excited about that case. I'm actually trying to get the police reports that are public knowledge um, from the town that it happened in. Um, Some of this is because it's an unsolved case and there is, it's kind of like the Kiplin Davis case where there's not a lot of information. So you got to do a lot of digging to find a lot of this information. Um, I'm very excited about that one as well. This will be my first time reaching out to somebody and getting those actual police files Um, I already tried one way to do it and unfortunately they did not have any of the files so it is going to take me longer to get them so that one's going to take a little longer while I try to get my hands on those Um, but that way we can you know talk about exactly what happened in this case but with the Ken and Barbie case a lot of this stuff is already just out there it is a solved case you know it's closed they were convicted and whatever so it was a lot easier to get the information for. So like I said, if you have any cases that you want covered on this, you want to listen to, 
just email me at confessedobsessedcaserequest at gmail.com because these are so much fun and they kind of let you guys know that you have a hand in this podcast as well. You might not be covering these things, but but you have a hand and you are here and you are part of this podcast. This is a family we have and I love to do it together. Anyways, let's go ahead and hop into today's case. Like I said earlier, this is the Ken and Barbie killers. We are going to start this case off with just talking about the two killers involved that are nicknamed Ken and Barbie. As you guys probably know, if you have heard about this case at all, that is not their real name. That is just their nickname, and this was because they were both very attractive-looking people. Like I said in the opening, we tend to have this profile in our head of what people look like. We feel like, you know, all druggies look the same and all murderers look the same and all the people that are going to rob a bank look the same. But this is not true. Even though there is, you know, some profiling that you can do and you can look at somebody and know that they're not up to any good, anybody can commit crimes. I might not look like a murderer, but I could decide tomorrow to go murder somebody and it's not going to be based off of my looks. The reason these two got that nickname is because they were beautiful and nobody would have guessed that they would have murdered anybody because they looked beautiful. This is not necessarily the best kind of profiling to do. In my opinion, you never should look at somebody and just assume you know what they're going to do and who they are, like the type of person they are. Um, I'm not saying that I don't profile people because let's be honest, everybody does. But when I tend to do it, um, I can feel their energy very easily and I go off of the energy that I feel that comes off of them. Even then though, that is not a foolproof way of knowing if somebody's up to good or, or anything. You really don't know what's going on behind the heads of the people that you speak to every single day. The very first person that I want to cover is Paul Bernardo. Now, Paul Bernardo is going to be the Ken in the Ken and Barbie killer's name. That is who this man is. Paul was born on August 27th, 1964, and Paul had a very, very financially stable life. As you know, as we've covered a lot of different serial killers or killers in general, a lot of times their childhood is not the best. But like I just said with profiling people, Anybody can kill you guys. You don't have to come from a bad background to become a murderer. And Paul didn't really come from that bad of a background. He had everything that he ever needed. He never had to worry about food coming on the table or anything like that. But an interesting fact of Paul's childhood is that Paul grew up with the parents Ken and Marilyn Bernardo. And he always believed that these two were his parents, that he, they were his birth parents, and he loved them to death, and it was just this perfect, you know, household. But when Paul turned 16, his mother pulled him aside and informed him that that was not true, and that Paul was actually a child born out of an affair that she had had. This affair had happened because his mother had reached out and started a relationship with an old ex-boyfriend. Ken did not know, of course, at the time. And during this relationship, Paul's mother ended up sleeping with this ex-boyfriend and he got her pregnant. Once Paul's mother discovered that she was pregnant, 
with this baby, she decided it was time to let Ken know. And she told Ken that she had been cheating on him for a while and she was now pregnant and it was a mistake. So Ken did not know in the beginning of this affair, but he knew at the end of this affair. Instead of leaving Marilyn, Ken decided that he was going to stay with her and they were going to raise this baby as if it was Ken and Marilyn's baby. I give props to Paul's father. I cannot imagine staying with somebody who cheated on you and became pregnant. And I also can't imagine raising a child that's not yours that you knew was somebody else's because your wife slept with somebody else. That is a very, very difficult thing for Ken to decide to do. But obviously, Ken did it very, very well. Because Paul never, ever would have guessed that Ken was not his real father. After this first affair, I do not believe Marilyn ended up cheating on him anymore, and Ken and Marilyn had a very strong relationship after this situation. But once Paul found out, he got so mad at his mother. His mother essentially destroyed this perfect childhood that Paul had had. He stopped calling her mom altogether, and he would call her slob or whore whenever he spoke to her. He talked down to her, and he stopped listening to her. I understand that this was a lot, but I do not agree with how Paul treated his mother after he found out. That's not okay. His mom made a mistake, yes. It doesn't sound like she ever made it again. And she decided it was best for Paul if she informed him that that Ken was not his father. I can see both sides, but I do honestly think that the way Paul reacted towards his mother was inappropriate. Now, like I said before, Ken and Marilyn did stay together. They decided not to tell anybody that this baby was not Ken's, and Ken even put his own name on the birth certificate, because in Ken's eyes, this baby, yes, might have had a different father, was still his son, and he raised him like so. I know that I've made Ken sound like a very, very great guy, just right off the bat. You know, he stayed. He sounds like a great guy, but he actually was not that good of a person. Ken was a registered sex offender. This was because he would regularly peep into the homes of the neighborhood women. He would molest Paul's older sister, who was Ken's biological daughter, and this is what would put him on the sex offender registry. So as much as it sounds like Ken was a pretty good guy and stayed with Marilyn after she cheated on him, he really was not that good of a guy. And I wonder if Ken knew that he would not be able to find another woman being on this sex offenders list. That could be why he stayed. Like I said, that is not a fact or anything. That is just me guessing. After this point, Paul just grew up with a lot of anger. He was very mad at his parents. He was very mad at the world. And this is when Paul would start to use his good looks to charm the women around him. He learned very, very quickly that he could flash a smile and manipulate everybody around him, especially women. At this point as well, Paul was starting to fantasize about some very dark things. We've brought up fantasies before and BDSM and things like that, and I'm not saying when I bring them up that they are bad. 
at all. They are, you can very healthily act on any of these darker fantasies and never have an issue. And Paul started off like that. He started off enjoying what is known as a humiliation fantasy. So he would go on and start to manipulate these women around him and he would start to use these dark fantasies that he had on them, whether or not they consented. And that is the line for healthy fantasies and unhealthy fantasies. You always need to have consent. And Paul didn't really care about this. He would go on to graduate college and quickly become an accountant. This would bring in a ton of money and a lot more popularity because now Paul was not only good looking, but he was also rich to a point. He would start to pick women up and manipulate them and then act out these dark fantasies and they would just start getting worse. Whether or not the women consented to the humiliation that he enjoyed, it was never in public and he began taking these women out and humiliating them in front of people and out in public. This would follow with hitting and beating them. Paul would become abusive. He would become abusive behind closed doors and he would become abusive out in public. A lot of the times when he would start humiliating and abusing these women, no matter how much he tried to manipulate them to stay though, they always left, which is congratulations on them. It is hard for people to get out of that kind of situation. But this didn't stop Paul because Paul would start to walk around very, very late at night and look for girls that he could humiliate and that he could beat. This is when Paul would take another big leap into the unhealthy, and he would begin to rape these girls. It wasn't like he was raping these girls with a mask on either. Every single rape, these girls would get away. They'd be alive, not necessarily get away, but they would be alive and be able to go to the police. They could give the authorities a very accurate picture and description of Paul because they saw his face. But Paul, learning how to use his good looks, and his manipulation and his flashing smile was always able to deflect the police and talk his way out of it whenever they came to question him. And he never got charged for any of these rapes. And this would be about the time when Paul was sitting at a restaurant when he looked up and spotted a beautiful woman. He would walk up to her and he would start using his charm. And she liked him. She liked him a lot. The chemistry between these two was so fierce that right off the bat, they could not keep their hands off each other. You guys, they just met. They were making people very uncomfortable because it wasn't like a normal peck handhold or flirty touching that these two were doing. They would begin to engage in very aggressive public display of affection. And this is when their relationship started. This is the point where Paul met Carla. Carla Hamalka was born on May 4th, 1970. This put her about six years younger than Paul, and she was born to the parents of Dorothy and Carl Hamalka. Carla was the oldest child and had three sisters under her. 
I don't have a ton about Carla's childhood, but I do know that it was pretty normal. She never had any weird turning points. She never showed any concerning behavior. As she grew up, it was very clear to her how much she loved animals. She had decided she was going to begin to work at a veterinarian clinic after she had graduated high school, and she was going to take the first steps to starting that as a career. Before she graduated, though, she would meet Paul. Like we talked about earlier, Paul and Carla met in 1987, when Carla was only 17 years old. Paul, at the time, was 23. Like I said, they were six years apart, and this is already a red flag. Not necessarily the age gap, because age gaps are not really a thing when you get older. But Carla was a child, you guys. And the relationship between these two would become very serious, very quick. And these two not only started their sexual relationship early, early on, and that's not necessarily a problem. People do that every day. But this is when they would start to share their fantasies and things that they both had done, for example. And obviously, when you first start a relationship, this is not uncommon. And you do have this time where you talk about things, your likes, your dislikes, things you've done. So that wasn't really the strange and concerning thing. The strange and concerning thing was that Paul had begun to disclose some very scary things to Carla. This is when he would start to talk to Carla about how he was participating in raping young girls. He informed her that he was actually the Scarborough Rapist. When he told Carla this and told her that he was the one responsible for raping many of these young women, it didn't seem to faze Carla. She told him that she was okay with it and that she was okay with him continuing the raping. She actually started to encourage this behavior in Paul as well. This caused Paul to fall for Carla harder and harder every single day. It got even better in Paul's eyes when Carla would begin to talk about her sexual fantasies that she had, and they matched Paul's almost perfectly. Paul enjoyed making fun of his significant others. He enjoyed embarrassing them and calling them names. And Carla enjoyed being called names, which is not necessarily an issue. Like I said, people are into this kind of things, but it just made Paul fall more in love with Carla, especially when she began asking him to do things like hitting her and inflicting pain on her. Like I said, this is not necessarily a bad thing. There are plenty of healthy relationships where this happens in. But the fact that Paul had literally told Carla that he was raping random girls in the middle of the night and she was okay with that, on top of some of the other things that these two were doing together, that is really what makes this a concerning situation. 
And before Carla met Paul, everybody knew Carla as a very sweet and smart girl. She was very, very popular actually in school. And nobody would have ever guessed that she had any ounce of evil running through her veins. These things started to change though when she met Paul and it was almost like either Paul was changing Carla or Paul was awakening the monster inside of Carla that had been asleep for years. Their relationship would be very, very strong for a very, very long time. Carla in love with Paul and Paul in love with Carla. But remember how Paul enjoyed raping those young girls? Paul also enjoyed how young Carla was when they first started dating. And Carla had begun to age at this point. So she did not necessarily look like that young 17-year-old that she was. And when she was 20, so only about three years into this relationship, Paul would begin to talk down to Carla in a more serious manner. One of the big things that he enjoyed bringing up was how Carla was not a virgin when they met and how Paul was unable to take that innocence from Carla and how it really upset him that one, she was growing older and two, that he never got to take that virginity from her. And this is when Paul would begin to eye Carla's younger sister named Tammy. And Paul would just go on and on and on about how beautiful Tammy was. And Tammy was only 14 at the time. And he would talk about how Tammy had that virginity card that he always wanted to take from Carla. And Tammy was beautiful and perfect and amazing. And how he just wished Carla could be Tammy. And Carla agreed. Carla told Paul that he was right and that it was amazing that Tammy still had that virginity card and that Carla agreed that Paul should be the one who took that card from Tammy. This is when Paul would begin to flirt more and more with Tammy because he essentially got the okay from Carla to sleep with her younger sister. I know that this sounds completely crazy, but remember, Carla was also okay with him raping younger girls around the town and didn't tell anybody that Paul was the one responsible. So already, Carla is very unhealthy in the head, and now she's essentially giving Paul permission to sleep with her younger sister. The flirting did not get them very far, though. And they decided that they were going to take this from Tammy with or without her knowledge and with or without her consent. But we're going to cover that in next week's episode. I don't want to jump straight into all of the crap that these two did together and then have to cut it off halfway through. So we're going to cut it off here. And we're going to talk about when... Paul and Carla officially began their streak and would become known as the Ken and Barbie Killers.
There may be false or misleading information throughout this podcast. All facts have been researched to the best of my abilities, but accidents do happen. If this is a story you are interested in knowing more about, I highly recommend doing your own research. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.